Welcome, this is Josh Rees with Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. For more information about our church, please visit our website, milehighchurch.org. We're continuing our adventure in faith this morning, five gates to living now. And these gates are all ones that we enter first within ourselves. Last week we talked about resonance, and today we're going to talk about relationship. Uh, And our message today is uh, relationship love forward. And although I'll be talking about relationships and the outward expression, what I'm really hoping is that each of us can improve our connection with what relationship means within ourselves. Because when we can nurture it and cultivate what that is, the natural byproduct is greater healing and greater thriving in our relationships. There's a famous interaction in Stephen Covey's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, where there's a gentleman in a seminar, and he shares with Stephen that he uh, is no longer in love with his wife. And so he wasn't trying to sign up for the Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life seminar, but the Change Your Thinking, Change Your Wife seminar, apparently. (laughs) And he says, I'm no longer in love with my wife. And Covey replies, well, have you tried loving her? He goes, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm not in love with her. No, 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 I do understand. Have you tried loving her? Well, how am I supposed to get love out of a place of not love? And Covey responds in this way. He says, my friend, love is a verb. Love, the feeling, is a fruit of love, the verb. So love her, serve her, sacrifice, listen to her, empathize appreciate, affirm her. Are you willing to do that? And there's a few lessons in this story for me. The first is that love, like all the great qualities of the spirit, is better when understood as a verb as opposed to just a noun. When love is just a thing, it can be just an empty promise. It can be something that we take for granted. I remember becoming a minister and looking at those famous wedding vows. Do you take this man to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, till death do you part? And, And there's something beautiful about that promise of love. But I had to work with that within myself. And then even in getting married, I had to change the vows up. So they say, do you take this man to have and to hold, to love and to cherish from this day forward and every day again anew. And that resonated with me because it said that love isn't just a vow or a promise and that my marriage isn't something I just choose once, but it's something I really have to choose every day. That love is a choice. And when we choose it, it can become the greatest creative power in our lives. But it's too often that we take it for granted and we miss using it in our lives. A second lesson is it's funny for how much I want love, that I want to say that I am love and my goal is to receive and to give it, that I place myself on the outside of love. It's funny how as much as I want to be in the flow of love, that even the slightest sign of not love, and I put myself on the outside of it. Am I the only person that does that? You know, it's taught me something really important that in my experience, love is never a reaction. Love is always a conscious 
response. And so to really get the power of the verb of love working in your life, you have to recognize that even in those moments where it feels like there's not love, that that's not a calling to pull away, but to step in with a greater clarity and a greater intentionality, even if it has to be a tough love, to demonstrate it in your life and in your relationships. The third lesson brings me into the heart of the message today, which is there's no progress in loving backwards. There's only progress in loving forward. There's no progress in loving backwards. There's only progress in loving forwards. And loving backwards can mean practicing not love, but it can also mean just loving in the past. You think about it, would you rather be loved for who you've been and what you've done for someone in the past or for who you are now and for who you are becoming? They're both really nice, but that second one's really important. There's something great about a familiar love with someone we've known for a long time where we admire them and we cherish them. There's something sacred and even eternal about it. I love what Maya Angelou said. She said in one of her poems, I was always yours to have. You were always mine. We have loved each other in and out of time. Which it's beautiful to be loved for who we've been in someone's life. But there's something even more creatively powerful when we love someone for who they are today and for who they are becoming. So I would invite you the next time you say, I love you, ask yourself, am I saying I love you then or I love you now? Am I saying I love you then, which means I appreciate all of our shared experience together? Or are you saying I love you now? I realize that I love who you are now as much as I ever loved you. And I love who you're becoming. And I recognize that our best days are still ahead of us, right? There's something actionable in that love, something powerful. James Thurber once said, love is what you've been through with somebody. And I love that. But I also think love is what you're going to go through with somebody, for better or for worse. And we can bring that consciousness of love into our lives to recognize that there's no personal growth without loving forward. That there's no moving forward with your life without loving forward. And there's no growth in our relationships without loving forward. It's our adventures in faith, and our theme again is Five Gates to Living Now. And it's all about recognizing that this pandemic took normal away from us. And as opposed to sitting and waiting for what the new normal is going to look like, I've loved predicting it, but I've failed every time, Let's co-create our new normal with the divine today. And one of the things that was most affected for many of us in this pandemic was our relationships, right? Whether we were isolated at home or the sadness of grandparents not being able to see grandkids and vice versa. And yet for those of us who were social butterflies, whose friendships involved um, appointments and lunch dates and cocktail parties and uh, bar mitzvahs and all that kind of stuff, all of that kind of went away, right? And for some of us, we were really sad about that. And then for some of us, we were like, well, this is kind of cool. <laughs> hey, Josh, you want to come out to dinner with us next week? Sorry, COVID, can't. <laughs> hey, do you want to come to my nephew's birthday party? Yeah, sorry, COVID, can't. 
Hey, do you want to go to a party I'm throwing next week? Sorry, COVID can't. Josh, it's 2022 and we've reached herd immunity. I'm sorry, just me and my family are being really safe right now. <laughs> but I think there's an, an opportunity for us to really evaluate the importance of relationship in our lives and what it really means to us. That friendships are great when they're appointments and to-dos and honoring each other on holidays and birthdays and all of that, but there's something glorious, more so perhaps than anything else, about the people that God brings us in our lives and how they show up just at that right perfect time to give us just what we need to become the next incarnation of who we are. Emerson said, friendship, like the immortality of the soul, is too good to be believed. The miracle of relationships. And in our Adventures in Faith material, which you can get online, whether you're in a small group or not, there's a little exercise where you go through five-year stages in your life and you just choose a significant relationship. And you get to just ask yourself, what was the impact that that person had on me? And what I find when I do that is I realize the miracle of God's grace in my life to demonstrate people I would have never written up or imagined in any way and, and what they brought and what they showed me. And it was just somewhat synchronistic that, that one of my best friends this week, her name is uh, Barbara Charlwood, she passed away. She's 97 years old. There she is meeting our little darling Nancy June back in 2019. And Barbara's one of my best friends. And I, I met her in uh, 2004. I was in ministerial school, and it was the first class, official class I ever taught. And she was the, one of the students. And if I were to write up a best friend, it probably wouldn't have been, you know, at that time, a young lady in her mid-80s. <laughs> but here she was, and she, she, she just saw me. She just saw me. She just got me, and she saw my potential. You know those people that see the truth of you before you can see it about yourself? And she would call me, and in the age of email, she was great, too, because she still wrote letters. So we got to communicate in that way. And through the years, uh, I moved around, but she always stayed in touch. You know, and she had uh, volunteered in a lot of churches, and so she just understood church. And so she taught me that ministry is about trust and not control. She taught me that a, that a really good um, church is one that grows its minister while the congregation is growing, that you grow up together. She taught me so much. I remember before I first got to speak here at Mile High, I said, yeah, gosh, sometimes they have a thousand people there. And, and, and she goes, oh, that's so wonderful. Um, and uh, if I were to have the choice of uh, speaking in front of that many people or being shot, I'd choose getting shot. <laughs> and so, you know, sometimes we ministers, we get a little stage fright and they go, you know, what do you do before you get out and talk? And I always just think of Barbara saying, oh, I'd rather be shot. Uh, but she was, she was so funny. And I just loved her so much. And I actually feel closer to her than ever. And, you know, it's never an excuse to say, oh, she lived a good long life, but, but she was ready to go. You know, she was talking with my mother, and my mother said, oh, are you going to, going to go to sleep? And she said, no, 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 this is way too interesting. That's my Barbara, and I love you, Barbara. But who's been that in your life? Who is the divine called forth? Emerson also said, I awoke this morning with devout thanksgiving for my friends, the old and the new. Shall I not call God the beautiful who daily showeth himself so to me in his gifts? I chide society, I embrace solitude, and yet I am not so ungrateful as not to see the wise, the lovely, and the noble-minded as from time to time they pass my gate. 
that gate of consciousness, that gate when we're ready to meet someone, where we let someone in. And who are you willing to let into yourself in creating a new normal? Maybe it's new relationships. Maybe it's remembering what warms the heart of people that we love so that we can renew our long-standing relationships again. There's no greater sacrament than I know than that of relationship. And there's no greater testament to the life journey than calling forth those right people for you on your journey who somehow have that magic presence that helps you embody and become who you're called to be. Because if we want to grow in our lives, we have to learn to love forward. If we want to heal our relationships, if we want to have greater intimacy in our relationships, if we want to expand in our relationships, we're going to have to love forward. And so just a few things about loving forward today. The first is that loving forward gets you back on track. Nothing like loving forward to get you back on track. It doesn't matter how many layers of not love you've built for yourself. It doesn't matter how many mistakes you've made in your relationship. It doesn't matter how unlovable some part of you may think you are that's held you back from having intimacy in your life. Love will get you back on track. I tried to think of a relationship that I admire that was in the public eye, and uh, I came up with uh, Ronald and Nancy Reagan, who, whether you not, or not you agree um, with their politics, were an incredible couple. <laughs> Remember when you could disagree with someone's politics and still like them? Isn't that cool? <laughs> And I, I, I just always adored their relationship, their love for one another, and the way they clearly adored each, adored each other. And I always remember uh, watching Nancy Reagan's memorial, and her daughter was sharing about this one time. They had this uh, European uh, male masseuse that would come and massage Ronald Reagan from time to time at their home. And one time Nancy came in and just very secretly went up uh, behind her husband's back and just gave him little kisses on his back. Mwah, 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 mwah. And so when the massage was complete, uh, Ronald called Nancy in and said, I, I think we need to let the masseuse go. <laughs> he kissed me. And she explained the story, and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm just so relieved. And it's a, it's a cute story, but to me, the power of it is it showed his incredible loyalty and devotion. And of course, if you know their story and how she cared for him with his Alzheimer's, you see this amazing act of service that they gave to one another. And knowing Ronald Reagan's story, he was the first ever president who had been divorced in the past. He was married for nine years to the incredible actress Jane Wyman, and they had uh, three children together, including an adopted son, Michael. And there's a famous letter that Reagan sent to his son Michael on, his, on Michael's wedding day. Uh, and I'm just reading some portions of it. It goes like this. Dear Mike, you've heard all the jokes that have been rousted around by all the unhappy marrieds and cynics. Now, in case no one has suggested it, there is another viewpoint. You have entered into the most meaningful relationship there is in all human life. It can be whatever you decide to make it. Some men feel their masculinity can only be proven if they play out in their own life all the locker room stories, smugly confident that what a wife doesn't know won't hurt her. The truth is, somehow, way down inside, without her ever finding lipstick on the collar or catching a man in the flimsy excuse of where he was till 3 a.m., a wife does know and with that knowing, some of the magic of this relationship disappears. There's an old law of physics that you can only get out of a thing as much as you put into it. 
The man who puts into the marriage only half of what he owns will get that out. Mike, you know better than many what an unhappy home is and what it can do to others. Now you have a chance to make it come out the way it should. There is no greater happiness for a man than approaching a door at the end of the day, knowing someone on the other side of that door is waiting for the sound of his footsteps. Love, Dad. And it's an incredibly revealing letter. Say, yes. And and vulnerable letter because it it recognizes that he had made some serious mistakes in his life. And through the grace of God and meeting Nancy, he was able to get back on track. But we don't get there by loving backwards. We have to keep loving forwards. It doesn't fix our mistakes, but allows us to learn and be capable of the relationships that are now before us to deepen into and to grow. Love gets us back on track, and then loving forward sets our course. When you can begin each day, it sounds almost too simple, like it's too easy. But if you can sit each morning in a little time of meditation and ask yourself, how do I want to love today? How do I want to love the people I care about? How do I want to love the stranger I pass on the street? How willing am I to love and to be loved today, to show up in that? And if you can answer that question and seek to do your best in that, you have the greatest creative power in the universe operating in your life, period. And so love sets our course in helping us to consciously choose how we want to show up to love, but it can also set our course in helping us to watch ourselves when we're tempted to love backwards, which means to become overly sentimental with what was and what we think should have been, but also in those moments and experiences of not love that cause us to reject that thing that we want the most. Love is what I want most. Is it what you want most? I want to be love. I want to get love. I want to give love. And yet I've built patterns my whole life to say no to that, to stretch away from that in basic friendships and my most intimate relationships. Uh, my wife and I are celebrating five years of marriage next year. Sweetheart, are you here somewhere? She's probably in Sunday school with our daughter. Uh, and uh, we've been together for 11 years. And uh, it's the longest relationship I've ever had. And part of it is because um, April, very early on in our relationship, set a, an important boundary with me that I didn't think was important at all at the time. She said, Josh, don't talk about leaving. Or to put it more seriously, she said, Josh, if you're going to talk about leaving, you better mean it. Because, and I learned a couple years into practicing and following this boundary, is that was my not love, loving backwards pattern. The moment something went wrong, it was clearly a sign that the relationship was not meant to work out. The moment there was struggle, I was going to slip out the back door. Hey, great relationship, nice knowing you. Here's a card. You call me if you ever need a wedding officiant. You know, that's a little weird, but... Right, but that, that was the, the message of that from my wife at the time helped me realize that struggle was actually a way to create greater intimacy. That arguing was actually a greater way potentially of connecting. Do we still struggle and have uh, uh, frustrations and all of that today? Yes, but when you really believe that love is at the center of your relationship, everything is going to serve you in creating that greater intimacy, even when you're angry even when you're stuck. And so learning not only to choose how we're going to love people in our lives, but to make that conscious choice to become aware of those exits that we have that keep us from saying yes to love 
helps us to build it with one another in greater and more profound ways. Love will get you back on track. Love will set your course. And when you're really living it, love leads the way. When you're loving forward, love leads the way. You don't even have to. You just have to trust in that magnificent, incredible power of love. The last several weeks, I've had the honor of uh, putting together material for a class I'm going to start teaching online, not this next week, but the week after, called um, Gandhi King and the Spiritual Philosophy of Nonviolence. It's so much fun to put together because you take Gandhi and King and others, and these are the, the folks that have taken our teaching almost to a T, and applied it to make incredible social change. And this spiritual philosophy of nonviolence is really just another term for the spiritual philosophy of love and action and how it can show up in our lives. But Gandhi knew that sometimes people looked at love uh, as kind of perhaps even weak, you know, too warm, too, too fuzzy, too sweet. Uh, and so he, he decided to coin a term. He called it satragraha, satra meaning truth. And these terms together, meaning truth force, soul force, or he would call it love force. And he believed that when you embody this power of love, you have the greatest power that there is. And it was translated through nonviolence where he would say you have to love the meanest of creation as oneself. Not easy to do, but that's the power of love. In freeing India and creating the greatest social change in the last century, from British colonialism, his goal wasn't to fight with the British, but to appeal to their highest and best with the power of love to the degree that they wanted Indian independence as much as, as people in India did. And even with his own people, with the caste system and the religious differences, he was always appealing through the power of love to the best in those around you. So if Gandhi can use it to change the world, you can use it to make your relationships better, right? We can use it to improve our love lives, to improve our friendships, to be conscious, to recognize there's that power of love uh, that can say to someone, I, it doesn't matter what you do, I will always love you. No matter how you're showing up, I will always love you. No matter how dark or bleak things may seem, I will always love you. That's that power of love to heal and to make a way when there seems like there's no way in our lives. It's spontaneous, it's creative, and it's powerful. And probably the most famous exchange that Gandhi ever had came very close to the end of his life. India had achieved its independence, but it was in a two-year civil war. Isn't it amazing how our countries are, are like that sometimes? Hindus and Muslims killing each other, and in particular in Calcutta, there are hundreds of people dying every day. And Gandhi, a Hindu, made a decision to move in with a friend who was a Muslim, and he declared a, a hunger strike to appeal to the moral good in these people that were fighting each other. And one day, there was a, a gunda who was known as a Hindu criminal, like a gangster, who, who got into his room somehow, and everyone thought Gandhi's gone. Uh, but the man didn't have a gun, he had a piece of bread, and he threw it at Gandhi and demanded that he eat. Eat this bread. And Gandhi, dying, dying of hunger, had the presence of mind to, to see the sadness on this man's face. And he asked him what was wrong. And the man broke into tears and he said that the Muslims had killed his boy, a Hindu. And for revenge, he had gone out and he had found Muslim children and he had murdered them. And they, and they both together, they, they cried. 
And Gandhi embraced the man and they wept for all the children in India that day. And the man said to Gandhi that I know I will burn in hell for what I've done. And Gandhi, in that power of love and that spontaneity, he looked at the man with his advisors around him and he said, I know a way out of hell. Go and adopt a young boy who is Muslim and raise him as a Muslim and you will find healing on your path. What an what a obscene idea to someone who's a, who's a religious fundamentalist. And yet, isn't that so our teaching? To break down the walls of exclusivism and to open up the doors of our heart to step into living with one another in a greater way. Love won't fix your pain. Love won't always heal all of your hurts but it will help you build the tenacity and the strength and, yes, even the gratitude that honors the grace of love that is available to each one of us if we stop loving backwards and start loving forwards in every aspect of our life. So moving into prayer this morning, and feel free to join me, and I invite our incredible practitioner prayer partners to stand with me if they so choose. Just invite us in this creative soil of consciousness that we cultivate together to ask ourselves, what can love do in my life today that I perhaps know is out of my own hands or power? What might love heal? What might love reveal? How might the power of love reveal even behind the seeming fractured surface of a relationship a greater degree of forgiveness and understanding? How might love give me the space to step more confidently into who I am? How might love give me the courage to be vulnerable enough to change, to admit a mistake, to come back into that creative flow, knowing that when we live in love, Love comes before us, it comes all around us, it uplifts us and invites us into a greater degree of livingness right here and right now. Opening our heart to a renewal or into the new creation of relationship around us, let us make a conscious decision of what relationship means to us. For I know when we truly understand the gift of relationships, we realize it is the greatest sacrament there is for experiencing the truth of divine creation, the truth of the heart of all humanity, the truth of why we are here and where we are going, ever growing in the upper echelons, the inner dimensions, and the outward expression of a divine, thriving love. May we say yes to it in every area of our lives, especially those that we may have been saying no to it for too long. May we uplift and experience that divine depth, that divine love that reminds us of our wholeness and of that divine promise that we are always as one together. And so it is. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.